And one story that always kind of captures my imagination. The streets lost culture. <laughs> and you're listening to Kerning Cultures. Hey guys, we are going to try something from now on. In the middle of each month, we'll release a story inspired by you. More and more of you are starting to pitch us story ideas, and we are having a lot of fun exploring where they take us with you. A quick highlight here, keep pitching us story ideas, and you may hear them on our mid-month Kerning Cultures listener-inspired episodes. So today, a listener-inspired story that will probably make you a little uncomfortable. Like the kind of uncomfortable you get trying to feel your way through in the pitch blackness of the night. Because today, we are going to a very dark place. Maybe the deepest, darkest of places. I'm Hibba Fisher, and you're listening to Kerning Cultures, radio documentaries from the Middle East. Our story today comes from producer Alex Atak. Yeah, we can start. The first guy to explore Mount Everest said, going up is optional, going down is mandatory. In caves, going down is optional, going up is mandatory. This is Tufik Abunada, a Lebanese explorer. And in 2016, he was plotting his next adventure, a journey to the bottom of the Krubera cave, the deepest cave in the world. That cave is situated in Abkhazia. Uh, Abkhazia is, uh, used to be part of Georgia. Actually, it's only partly recognized. The UN include it as part of Georgia, but Russia see it as an independent state. Anyway. I've done a lot of research, online research, about the cave. I couldn't find much. I also got uh, some wrong information, uh, which later on during the cave uh, freaked me out because my, I, I prepared myself to what I have seen from my research. However, when I got to the reality, it was completely different. It's hard to find reliable information on caves like this for a few reasons. It's pitch black, so photographs that give you a clear sense of the layout and the space don't really exist. What he knew, though, was that the cave was 2,197 meters deep. For reference, that's just under three Burj Khalifas. And he estimated it would take him about two weeks to make it all the way down to the bottom. A lot of this trip was going to involve squeezing through shoulder-wide tunnels, so you can't really take all that much stuff with you. I'm very critical with the weight I carry. Like, I would count each gram that I'm going to put in my bag I, I, to the extent that I remove the labels of the clothes. Uh, each item, I remove the label. Even if the chocolate bar has, like, an extra label, I would remove it. So in July 2016, he flew from Dubai to Moscow and then Moscow to Sochi, which is in the southwest part of Russia. And then he crossed over into Abkhazia by foot, which sits right on the other side of the Russian border, about 30 kilometers from Sochi. I slept one night in a garage because there was no hotels, there was no guest houses, there's nothing. When you do this kind of thing, you need a team, which Tufik didn't have. So he got in touch with a couple of other caving teams he'd found online and found a group of Hungarians who were willing to have him along. One was a maths teacher, one worked at an automobile garage, and one was a student. But he didn't really know any of them at all. And to make things more complicated, he only shared a common language with two of them. 
So all of these things were playing a big, a massive uh, uh, doubt in my brain, especially the first day getting in. I'm not sure if I'm going to enjoy their company or they're going to enjoy my company. So there's all these questions arising all the time. But anyway, they set off for the cave. It's about uh, eight hours drive, uh, hardcore four by four. It's green. I mean, it's lush green, a lot of water, a lot of mud. Uh, it's a very old dirt road. Uh, I would say they used it in back in the war. Almost all of it is like through the forest. However, when you reach the altitude of 1,300 around that, um, you start seeing less trees and it's just pure green mountains. The descent into this cave was near the top of a mountain. And at this point, they're so far away from anything that the only way they could have made contact with anybody else was via satellite phone. And then you reach the last point of the road where it takes you. And then from there, you have to hike around one hour and a half to get to the cave mouth. There's a small hole between the plants and then you can't even see it. I mean, it's very easy for you to, you know, jump, walk through it and at night or if you don't see it or something like this. So it's a super small hole. It's about one meter by a meter and a half. So they call this cave diving, and what that really means is a combination of abseiling and climbing and crawling to the bottom of a cave. So abseiling, which is basically using a rope to descend a rock face, the team began their first part of the journey. This was the last time they'd see daylight in nearly two weeks. You descend about three, four meters, there's more, no more green. The temperature moves from 25, 28 degrees outside to immediate 6, 7 degrees. And it's total dark down there. The only sound you hear in the cave is the water dripping. It becomes nerve-wracking. You know, I, I can't back out from this. That was the only thought that was going on in my mind. You committed, you asked for it. You have to be, you know, responsible for what you've committed to. It's funny enough, when you are in a cave, your mind is so silent. There's not much happening. So after that initial abseil into the first part of the cave, the rest of the journey just becomes more claustrophobic. The cave itself is a tight cave in general, so it's a small cave uh, and uh, you have the upsail down, climb up, and then you have crawling. At some parts you can walk like short distances of 50 meters and then you, this is where you stretch your legs, you stretch your back and your shoulders and so on. But most of the parts you're squeezing through like a snake-like maze. They'd spend between 7 and 16 hours a day squeezing themselves through these meanders, gradually moving further underground. At the end of the day, they'd find an opening in the cave which was just big enough to pitch their two-man tents and, and they'd get some sleep. And most of the times, I would say safely 90% of the times, you're in claustrophobic areas, very tight spaces. I mean, I believe everybody is claustrophobic to some extent. I'm generally, I'm comfortable with these spaces, but when you get in like entire day in a space of, you know, one meter away from your face, you're hardly breathing. There's a humidity level also, also it's very high. So in tight spaces, it's become hard to breathe. Some people get stuck in small, small spaces is because they start over breathing and their lungs capacity become bigger. And basically the, the lungs get stuck between the, the walls.
Tufik said they had a foolproof method of making sure none of them got stuck. Always send the bigger guy in front of you. <laughs> that's, the, that's the joke of every single team, I believe. And then if they get stuck, then you go back. The thing with this kind of exploration is that emergency services can't really help you when you're down there. Or what they can do is limited. There are various satellite phone connections wired up at intervals, but if you get into serious trouble, the only people who can really help you get out are your teammates. The reality is, even if there's a plan regardless, it's a, it's a tough rescue. Caves are known to have the hardest rescue because of the environment. I mean, there's the water levels, there's the waterfalls, there's the horizontal, vertical spaces, tight spaces, and different formations. So having a stretcher going through uh, that tube was like a no, there's no way the stretcher goes through that tube. So if you have a broken spine or whatever it is, it's all on your own. So over the next five days, the team edged closer and closer to their 2,197-meter-deep finish point. Then somewhere near the finish, they were faced with this different kind of challenge. Tufik called it just the siphon. And the siphon is, is a water flow that reached to a section, uh, a, a rock section, where the rock is extremely hard, so the water cannot pierce through it. So what happens is the water starts going underneath the rock itself, and taking the natural flow from the other side. The way he described it was the same as the plumbing beneath the sink at your house. That U-bend that simultaneously pushes water down and pulls it up the other side. They basically reached a human-sized one of these, and to go through, they had to dive into the water under a rock and back out the other side. So my mental state was, oh, it's an easy siphon, I can dive through it without oxygen and so on. I did not expect the siphon to be extremely narrow, which is literally uh, less than shoulder wide, so you have to squeeze even your shoulders to swim through it. But anyway, he changes into his waterproof suit and dives in. But as soon as he did, he realized that there was a hole at the knee and the suit filled with water. My legs were already full of water, my entire body was full of water, so I became a heavier person. So that freaked me out. My body is basically wedged in between two areas. One is stuck from one side and one stuck from another side, so I'm just gonna suffocate to death. This is taking claustrophobic to an entire different whole level. I mean, it's claustrophobic underwater. You can't see anything, it's all by touch, and you have to pull yourself and trust that you can go through it on one breath. However, reality is different. So I, I tried about four or five times and uh, I failed. I failed miserably. I was shaking. I was terrified. And the water's cold, about two degrees Celsius. So he couldn't stay in it for too long and he couldn't get through. So he took himself off to the side while the rest of the team went on. And I, this is, I, I still believe this is the scariest moment in my entire life. This is the first time I see myself being scared to the extent that I am in shock. My face is white, I am shaking, and I'm terrified. I'm like frozen, I can't do anything. And he just started talking to himself. I'm here, I've done this before, it's not the first time I do something like this. I had to convince myself about it. next try, he got through the siphon. Oh, 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 boy. 
but they still weren't quite finished. The last day was purely the crawling day uh, from camp to the lake, which is at the, called Game Over, is purely crawling. There's a narrow course to crawl through, which is known as the yellow tube. And then the last, last section, five minutes before the bottom, is two upsails. One is about 50 meter upsail and the other one is about 10 meter upsail. And then you reach a really narrow, small place, uh, which is the bottom of the cave, and that's the lake. And what did you do when you got to the other side? Like, what, is it, uh, what, what does it feel like? I mean, we did some pictures, we took some photos, um, screamed, hugged each other, and uh, that's about it. It felt like I'm not even halfway there because we went down, we, have, we still have to go up now. So uh, it, we were like, yalla, let's go pack your stuff, don't take too many pictures because we still have to go up. Getting out of the cave took them about five more days, going back up the exact same way they came down. And you just want to get out, you just want to take a shower. For me, it was like, when is the next move? When is the next move? When are we going to move? Stop stopping, you know? We don't need to take more breaks. Let's make a move. Now you're low on energy, you're low on food, uh, you're tired. Like, in my case, I was eating something like buckwheat mixed with chocolate every single day for breakfast and lunch. So you don't reflect on it that you're on the deepest point. The, the, the time that you have the time to reflect and to party is actually the day you go out. And this is where our party was. It's only the moment when I went out, I saw feeling my body is like collapsing. It's like it has been through a lot and took a lot of beating. That's physically. And another physical point is your eyesight uh, because you're accustomed to extremely dark areas. Uh, so the natural light is is really bad for your eyes when you go out after this long period. So the entire day, next day, I spent it inside of my tent covering my eyes. From a uh, mental point of view, all I was thinking about is uh, like real food, uh, like a good soup. I had to wait. <laughs> I had to wait for the entire day, next day to have a meal. Uh, our meal was, uh, I, it was a soup, uh, it was a Hungarian soup. So the, the Hungarian guys cooked for us. I mean, you cook from what we have. Usually it's you mix all the vegetables together in a big pot, uh, make them a soup and then you eat. So ba basically it was a soup uh, with a lot of bread and uh, mayonnaise, believe it or not. They like to mix mayonnaise with the soup. So yeah, I tried that. But it was awesome. <laughs> After eating buckwheat for nine days with mixed with chocolate, trust me, it was amazing. <laughs> This cave, the one that Tufik and his team went down, it's not the deepest cave in the world anymore. In March 2018, another team found a cave that was just a kilometre away, but was deeper than the Krubera by about 10 metres. And I have plans to actually, before even they, they found this new deepest cave, uh, the plan was to go back this year with my fiancé and my brother, because they're both cave explorers, and uh, explore it with them. Okay, I just, I have, um, I just have one more, like kind of simple question and uh it's just why like why, why did you do all of this uh, i guess it's the love of exploring the unknown uh putting myself in places i don't know this is some something i always always fancied since i was a kid i always had the curiosity to know what's behind something or where it is what what happens if i go 
further 100 meters than last time because I have the curiosity to, to know what's out there. This episode was produced by Alex Atak with editorial support from Dana Balut and myself, Hibba Fisher. Thank you to Sophie for sharing his journey with us. And you can see photos of that cave dive as well as a map of the cave on our website at kerningcultures.com. Now, this story all started with an Instagram message from you, and we want to hear more. We're at Kerning Cultures on Instagram and Twitter, and our email is info at kerningcultures.com. The door is always open to pitch us the stories you want to hear. Until next time.